1: Welcome to Your Partner in Law on Seattle's Cairo Radio, 97.3 FM and AM 770 KTTH. Your Partner in Law is brought to you in part by the law firm Gregorick & Associates PLLC. Charting your course to a secure future. Your Partner in Law starts now. Here's your host, Rick Gregorick.
2: Good morning and welcome to your partner in law. I'm attorney Rick Gregory from the law firm of Gregoric & Associates. So glad to be with you this Sunday and uh, get an opportunity to um, chat with you again. Um, we continue within the uh, COVID-19 pandemic, although we're loosening things a bit as we move about. But um, things are... Um, Far from getting back to our normal way of life, but uh, we are moving through. it um, been kind of interesting what's been going on from our perspective uh, from a law firm and the clients that we've been dealing with and some of the situations that people have had. Um, we've had, you know, sadly, some of our clients have uh, succumbed to covid uh Virus. Uh, we had certainly a large number of our clients uh, are in various types of institutional care, up to and including life care planning in Kirkland, right there with the started it all. So, for most of us around this area, the the virus has been up close and personal for most of us in in a variety of ways, not just uh, staying home from work, but uh, it's affected so many of our lives personally. And then, you know, with I don't even know how many people are unemployed yet, but you know, somewhere between 35 and 40 million people. Now, I. You know, to put that number in perspective, it's a bit sobering. There's probably only about 135 to 150 million working Americans to begin with at full employment. You know, if we take 350 million people total and discount the children and the elderly and everything, that we have about 100, little less than 150 million working. Well, when you got 40 million of them out of work, um, we don't have to be an economist to figure out that that's that's a problem and how we come out of this that um, proof of the pudding so we've all got our our things to do so uh, let's get on with it here and uh, there's certainly all kinds of things in the news to keep our attention Um, I guess I would be remiss as anyone else uh, that didn't voice some sort of outrage over the video that we all saw this uh, beginning of the week on uh, George Floyd of course that was the um, fellow the black fellow in um, uh, Minneapolis that was um, the subject of police um, I can't say anything other than overreacting brutality whatever horrible thing we want to say I mean we all saw the video Um, I think I'm going to take the side that let's you know justice does need to play out here and hopefully it is swift Um, not the focus of our show but these types of things really impact all of our lives and our emotions and uh, dealing with them so these are important times and we are some very critical times in our country's history so hopefully we're all going to be paying attention to that and what I wanted to talk about today a little bit um, Ted and I were talking you know kind of like what's in a name and how does how does title matter? You know, when we when we title certain things, whether it's our business, our trust, our wills, you know, lots of things we're putting our name on, our titles on, titles of documents and corporations, and an awful lot of times. Proper care isn't given to these nomenclatures and what we're doing, and obviously there's going to be some negative consequences. So um, Ted's here with me this morning, uh, Ted Hansen. Um, good morning again, Ted. Good morning. Uh, we said a good morning a couple hours ago, but uh, as, as life goes on, I'm glad to have you with us again. So, in this titling issue, kind of give, give us some framework on, on how really important it is because this is an area you have to be pretty precise yeah
3: it, it's that's absolutely right and 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 in our world titling really is everything now when we talk about titles there's a number of different things that are titled uh, cars probably is the most common item that most people have titled in addition to their home, perhaps. But titling goes a little bit deeper when we start talking about titling in the context of estate planning and what that really means. And and so we're going to talk a little bit today about, uh, we'll talk briefly about real estate titles, and then we're going to get into a discussion about titling other assets in your estate plan and how that can... Impact the results of your estate plan and and your intentions in your estate plan and and also how it can thwart those intentions in an estate plan.
2: Yeah, and many of the Um, examples we might be able to arise is an improper titling of an asset may result in it going to a completely different person, let's say under your will or trust or something like that, if a title heir has been made. That's of record. That's the title, and Yeah. that's usually how things go.
3: Yeah, and 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 when we speak about titling, we're not always talking about a piece of paper. Sometimes we're talking about a beneficiary designation on an account that is also a title issue, even though you don't have a paper trail thing like you have with your car, with your home. But but this becomes critically important because. Most people don't understand, it when I have to talk to them, particularly about will-based planning, is that if you want things to run through your will, any type of beneficiary designation other than your estate is going to thwart that plan. It goes to the person on the ticket. It's much like a lottery ticket, and I use that <laughs> analogy with my clients, because the winner is the person on the ticket, and notwithstanding some other desire of the person making the will out, if you've left that in place, guess what, folks? That's gonna trump the
2: desires in your will. Well, yeah, and, and it's so important because when we do talk about real estate titling and that, when you have more than one person on a deed, we have to figure out how are how are those people connected. And it's that connecting language, joint tenancy, tenants by the tenants in common, community property, yada, yada, yada. Um, As as partners, as one-third, one-third partners, or each partner maybe has a different percentage. So how you do these things has a great impact. For instance, I think one of the most classic problems we have is on real estate deeds where people, a couple guys go out and they buy an investment property together, they don't pay attention to titling when they buy the property, they put a joint tenant right or survive because that's kind of the default and then one of them dies. Well, the person who died, his family assumed that they would get half of the ownership in the property.
4: That's right. And that's but what
2: really happened, Ted, him...
3: <laughs> is he gave it to the other person when he died. That's what happens. And and this is a perfect example. And we also get into these situations all the time. And now, of course, we're talking about real estate deeds, which is a matter of titling. But we always get into these situations also where, for example, a husband and wife will take title with the child on a home. And the title will say, husband and wife as joint tenants with daughter added and nothing more, right? And so the issue becomes, do you guys own this a third, a third, a third, or do you own it 50% and now, 50%, right? I remember right? lots of cases right. like this uh, that had to go to court to figure yeah, this out. Yeah, this is the old classic, who owns Blackacre? If you've ever been to law school, this is one of the first things you you talk about when you take real property is the importance of titling and, and how these things really can play out wrong if they're done incorrectly. Uh, so like I said, we're going to talk a little bit about that today, and particularly I think it's important, Rick, maybe to talk about uh, community property uh, title, a deed, deed designation, why that's important for people to understand, um, and then we can talk a little bit about perhaps, you know, bear type deeds like quit claim deeds and things like that, and where you use them and what and, and why you don't and, use and them in some other it, cases. Where you don't, right. Yeah, because that makes a big difference, also. So,
2: so yeah, titling is is just critical, and when you're, you're you know, and if there's more than one person involved with the title how those people are connected is very very important Um, whether they're married or whether they're not or living together or business partners Um, you have to be careful because what oftentimes appears to be oh yeah we just do that and it's that easy kind of knee-jerk thing we do without stepping back a little bit and thinking about the consequence. Right. What does that mean if?
3: And usually influenced by a real estate agent or somebody like that who really shouldn't be giving advice about how to hold title, frankly. That, that That's where we run yeah. into the problems typically, right? That the people just don't understand the, the nature of the title. And, I, and frankly, Rick, I don't think a lot of people think about it, to be, la- oh, I, to be I, honest I, with you. I, I
2: think in the heat of the moment, when people are purchasing things... They get wrapped up in the heat of the moment and then the details and then the inspections and all that kind of stuff. And I think for many people, the deed and some of the other legal nuances kind of get pushed down to the bottom of the pile and they don't surface again until sometime after you've taken ownership of the property (laughs) and you're going, oh, what's this? or what happened there so and the law of unintended consequences I have talked about this you know for 20 years and improper titling really is one of the chief problems we have of law of unintended consequences um, just tremendous um, challenges in it hey folks uh, you're listening to your partner in law brought to you by the law firm of & Associates we are open for business um, not only as an essential service, but as a law firm for you. And uh, we can, um, we're can. we doing some virtual stuff. Staff's still working remotely. We are able to see some folks in the office, and uh, we're getting by. But uh, we're here to help, and we are open for any of your estate or elder law questions. Um, real estate's um, kind of perking along out there right now. It's kind of interesting what's going on there. But uh, any of your issues and concerns that you have, uh, please don't hesitate to call. Gregor and Associates, we're here to help. You can find us on the web, rjglegal.com we'll be right back after this quick break
0: when we talk about estate planning and elder law there are two triggers that cause you to review your plan John Curley here with my attorney, Rick Gregorick. And Rick, what are those two triggers? Thanks, John. There are two key triggers for when you should
2: review your estate plan. Changes in health or wealth. COVID-19 is a significant impact to both. So everyone should review and update their estate plan. Ask yourself, are you and your family prepared? Do you have the right executors, agents, and trustees? Have you provided for your family? We're here to help. This pandemic has disrupted all of our lives, so each of us needs to be proactive during these difficult
0: times. Be prepared, have a plan. Talk to Rick, Gregorick and Associates. They're open, they're essential business and they want to help give you peace of mind. You can call them or meet virtually to discuss your estate and elder law plan. Call 425-284-3450. That's 425-284-3450. Or book your free consultation online at yourpartnerinlaw.com.
4: Having a long-term care plan, it brings certainty to a very uncertain situation. It also allows us to stay in control of our care options. And maybe most importantly, it brings peace of mind to your family during an extremely stressful situation. In Story Monson, I highly recommend doing what my wife and I did, learn about all the new long-term care plans offered by Brian Ott and 525 Advisors. Brian has two live webinars coming up in June. The first one is June 10th at 3 p.m. I'll be joining that one right after my show. And then a second on June 20th. All of Brian's live webinars are free to attend. He'll teach you everything you need to know about long-term care, including all the new plans that are available. They protect your savings. They protect your family. And the plan my wife and I, got pays us back if we never use it. I can't recommend him highly enough. He's the best in the country, and he's right here in Bellevue. Sign up for one of his free live webinars coming up June 10th or June 20th. Go to 525longtermcare.com. That's
0: 525longtermcare.com. It's times like these that remind us how crucial it is to make sure your family's health care documents and money management is in order. Hey, It's John Curley. Be proactive, have a plan, and do what's best for your family so everyone can have peace of mind. I can't recommend it enough. Talk to Rick Gregorick. He helped me in my estate plan, and Rick is open and ready to help make sure your plan is properly updated. And if you don't have an estate plan, Rick is absolutely the best in the area to create the proper plan to custom fit for your needs. Rick wants to encourage everyone everyone to follow the guidelines being provided by local and state and federal governments to slow the growth of this deadly virus. It's vitally important to invest in yourself and your family. In a proper estate, an elder law plan has never been more important. Rick Gregoric and Associates are open now and ready to help you. You can schedule your complimentary consultation by calling 425-284-3450. That's 425-284-3450. Or go to yourpartnerinlaw.com. That's yourpartnerinlaw.com. Now back to Your Partner-in-Law
1: with Rick Gregorick on Cairo Radio 97.3 FM and AM 770 KTTH.
2: Hi, it's Rick Gregorick and you're listening to Your Partner-in-Law. I'm here with uh, Ted Hansen today and we're talking a little bit about what's in a name. You know, when you select title, you take title to assets, you put your name on things, you put your business name on things, you put your trust name on things, you sign up as an agent, you sign up as a power of attorney. These are all titling issues kind of generically that we're talking about today because lots and lots of unintended consequences can arise from improper or inadvertent titling issues. Um, Right before break, Ted was given a great example. We have a mom and a dad, and they have one child, let's say a daughter, and mom and dad buy a house, and they want to put the daughter on the deed. So the deed reads, mom and dad, a married couple, and daughter. So one would wonder, how much does each individual own of that house? Do mom and dad own half and the daughter own half? Or does mom and dad each own a third and the daughter own a third? Or something else. It can be argued in several different ways some arguments are better than others depending on your point of view but nonetheless there are multiple arguments and very often times these questions go to the court so Ted you know we've we've had dozens of Cases like this, we I do mean, several pretty significant ones. I mean, within the last year or so, we do, and and these these things come up
3: all the time, and they really are a, are a result of first of all not thinking it through, and second of all not completely understanding what the various parties' intentions were. But the cure for this really is to explicitly state the percentages in the deed. That that's the cure. For now, the Ted, problem. you said
2: a cure. Has this gone through a test, a blind study test, and <laughs> Double blind? Well,
3: I'll tell you. This is
2: mean, you know until we have a you know a bona fide cure.
3: When you when you deal with deeds in particular and contracts in general, you're generally stuck with the four corners of the document. Okay, I'm being and, and I understand. <laughs> and, and, and yes, I've seen this done a, a, a number of times. And one method I've never seen fail is the explicit percentages listed in the deed. That that seems to me to be the only way to get around this. But once again, when we're talking about this issue, it's rare that people. Will consult with an attorney about how to take title in a real estate purchase. Usually, that is a recommendation either from a title company or a recommendation from a from a, from a realtor. Neither of which are sufficiently knowledgeable about the issue. Now, with some title officers, I I, I may pull that back a little bit. There's certainly some title officers that are more knowledgeable than than lawyers are about the issue, but certainly it's one of those
2: issues that should require some type of legal advice. Well, Um, I mean, the reality is, on counseling someone as to how they should take title, I have a hard time arguing that it should be anyone other than your attorney who understands the titling issues and the laws related that but you're in order to give you proper guidance that you also need to know about you your finances what else do you own who do you own other stuff with how do you own it need to know a lot of things in order to give proper guidance on titling if it's anything other than you know i rick Greg, Rick own it as my own but um sometimes even you know we have people that let's say they've done a living trust for their estate plan, and yet they go out and buy a new house or a car and they buy it in their individual name. Well, from a legal perspective, the house is legally titled, we don't have a title issue, but what we do have is an estate plan that's not going to work because the house should be owned by the living trust, not by the individual. And so by not seeking out an attorney to say, hey, how should I do the deed to this property? Um, The attorney would go, oh, well you've got a trust, you want to put it in your trust. Nobody else is going to do that for you, typically, nor should they from a legal perspective as far as giving you legal advice over, you know, how do you take title? Because ramifications are significant Uh, in real estate. I mean, if a husband and wife own as joint tenants with right of survivorship, that's very different than if they own as community property. And yet most will think it's the same.
3: Yeah, and most do think it's the same. And and again, we're talking about real estate deeds in particular here, and perhaps it might be instructive, Rick, to talk about the various types of instruments that are used in the state of Washington. Now, every state, folks, has their different uh, preferred method of transferring title. For example, in California, they use grant deeds primarily, uh, but we've all heard about quit-claim deeds and perhaps it'd be instructive on when and when not to use them and, and what are the downfalls and the, the potential risks of using quit-claim deeds to transfer property. Number one, quit claim deeds are designed to pass any interest you may have. Now, that gets a little wobbly because there are situations in which you don't own the interest yet, yet you're passing the interest yeah, what I mean, we call after claim, acquired title.
2: Right. Now, quit claim deed does not say like a, a, a warranty deed, it doesn't say that you have title. It doesn't say that you have anything to convey. That's it says, right. if I ever do. It's yours. It's yours. Yeah. But it's not saying I have this. So, folks, this is this is it. So, you know, I work with Ted here. But, you know, what the heck? I could sell you Ted's house today. In fact, I'll make you an offer. Give me $100 for Ted's house and I'll give you a quick claim to Ted's house. Perfectly legal. Perfectly legal. Perfectly legal. You just bought Ted's house. Now, of course, Ted's still living in it. Ted still has title, but I just gave you a quick claim deed. So if I ever come into title of Ted's house, when I come into title, your after-acquired claim deed that I sold you for a hundred dollars, you will then owe Ted. You will then owe Ted's house. That's right. Wow.
3: Yes, and that is in stark contrast to the other instrument commonly used in the state of Washington, which is the statutory warranty deed. It is akin to a grant deed. However, the difference between the two are what we call representations of, of, of warranties, essentially that you do have title, that you do have the ability to pass
2: the property. And there are a number of others. Contained in that, well, what we call a bundle that you're of passing rights. Passing on, I mean, the big ones like quiet <laughs> use and enjoyment, right. and all these kind of things. We call that your bundle of rights. Right. When you when you um, buy under a statutory warranty deed in Washington, you're buying what we call fee simple full bundle of rights. Right. Any other deed is going to have less bundles of rights. Incorrect. That's, in correct. That's uh, correct. So Washington only has three <laughs> deed forms. They have the statutory warranty, which most of you would use if you're buying or selling a home. Then we have bargain and sale deeds, which are similar, but they don't have certain warranties of owner. Um, these are used in foreclosures. We call them sheriff's deeds. They're oftentimes used in probate. We would call it a either a probate PRD, deed or right. a trustee's deed or personal representative's deed, but they're all bargain and sale deeds. Uh, people transacting with trust, we always um, use bargain and sale. Right. Um, the quit claim deed is very popular in divorces, You know, passing from one spouse to the other relative to the property yeah. agreement. But if I could put out one caveat Don't ever do some sort of business transaction and accept a quit-claim deed unless you have a lawyer helping you look for this, because a quit-claim deed, you may be buying nothing but thin air. Right. It doesn't have to hold anything to be a legal deed. I mean, I can sell you, like I said, I can sell you Ted's house today and give you a quit-claim deed. And... If I ever do get an interest in Ted's house, then you can have it. But right. unless and until I do, you have a piece of paper and I have your money. Yeah, and these are, these are unfortunately commonly used to transfer property to
3: children. And, and we've talked a number of times about the pitfalls of doing these types of inter vivos gifts without having proper legal advice and, and quick claim deeds seem to be the people's go to when they want to simply transfer the property to somebody without anything more. And and like Rick said earlier, uh, please beware that these are frequently used in scam transactions for sure they are and, and they really don't pass anything to you unlike a statutory warranty deed or a bargain and sale deed. Now bargain and sale deeds record just really different in the types of warranties that are conveyed and particularly people that don't own the property like a personal representative one of a estate right. he's not going to warranty that the property is you know free of all these defects when he doesn't know so we use hey, he doesn't bargain know and he sale doesn't deals. know
2: if the neighborhood's noisy or <laughs> right. different things like that so um, but, but 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 people should also know that if i purchase a house under a bargain and sale deed I can still turn around and convey it to someone else as a statutory warranty deed. Right. So I don't lose anything if I'm the buyer receiving that per much, but it right. is something that people need to understand right. what they are or are not purchasing or giving away. And again, this gets back to this critical, idle uh, issue of title. Right. Uh, folks, uh, this is uh, your partner in law. We're brought to you by Gregor and Associates Law Firm. Uh, Ted and I are at, and uh, we would uh, love to... Uh, meet you and uh, we're going to be getting back to our uh, events here pretty soon Uh, we really we really do miss them getting out and meeting all you folks that's a big part of the enjoyment of our job but uh, until then we have uh, our telephones so we are seeing people in the office on a you know case by case basis as appropriate with all the social distancing Um, staff is still predominantly plugging away at home and uh, we're getting by, but uh, we're here to help, and we are open for any of your estate or elder law questions. Um, real estate's um, kind of perking along out there right now. It's kind of interesting what's going on there, but uh, any of your issues and concerns that you have, uh, please don't hesitate to call. Um, if you've lost a loved one in in COVID and that, I know how overwhelming that can be, but just need someone to talk to about it or get pointed in the right direction, um, Gregory and Associates, we're here to help. You can find us on the web, rjglegal.com. We'll be right back after this quick break.
0: When we talk about estate planning and elder law, there are two triggers that cause you to review your plan. John Curley here with my attorney, Rick Gregorick. And Rick, what are those two triggers? Thanks, John. There are two key triggers for when you should review your estate plan. Changes in health
2: or wealth. COVID-19 is a significant impact to both. So everyone should review and update their estate plan. Ask yourself, are you and your family prepared? Do you have the right executors, agents, and trustees? Have you provided for your family? We're here to help. This pandemic has disrupted all of our lives, so each of us needs to be proactive during these difficult times.
0: Be prepared, have a plan. Talk to Rick, Gregorick & Associates. They're open, they're essential business, and they want to help give you peace of mind. You can call them or meet virtually to discuss your estate and elder law plan. Call 425-284-3450. That's 425-284-3450. Or book your free consultation online at yourpartnerinlaw.com.
4: Having a long-term care plan, it brings certainty to a very uncertain situation. It also allows us to stay in control of our care options And maybe most importantly, it brings peace of mind to your family during an extremely stressful situation. In Story Monson, I highly recommend doing what my wife and I did, learn about all the new long-term care plans offered by Brian Ott and 525 Advisors. Brian has two live webinars coming up in June. The first one is June 10th at 3 p.m. I'll be joining that one right after my show. And then a second on June 20th. All of Brian's live webinars are free to attend. He'll teach you everything you need to know about long-term care, including all the new plans that are available. They protect your savings. They protect your family. And the plan my wife and I, got pays us back if we never use it. I can't recommend him highly enough. He's the best in the country, and he's right here in Bellevue. Sign up for one of his free live webinars coming up June 10th or June 20th. Go to 525longtermcare.com. That's 525longtermcare.com. We return to Your Partner in Law on Seattle's
1: Cairo Radio 97.3 FM and AM 770 KTTH with your host, Rick Gregorick.
2: Welcome back to Your Partner in Law. I'm attorney Rick Gregory. Hey, find us on the web, yourpartnerinlaw.com. You can also go to the law firm's website, rjglegal.com. Of course, your partner in law, we'll link you right back there. All the shows, folks, are podcasts. So if you miss one or want to go back and listen to it, uh, especially when I flub up and things, people like to go back and listen to those and remind me I got a few friends that, you know, do that. And I said, well, it's okay. You come down here for 19 years and do live radio. (laughs) Tell me you don't get your tongue tied up a few times. <laughs> but anyhow we work hard out, have a little bit of fun. We really do enjoy getting you know, talking to you each week and getting to meet all of you over time and that. So um I hope you're retaining safe and sound and you're pushing back towards normalcy as best we can as I know we're all chomping at the bit of looking out when there's sunshine and you know we're coming up to our three months of good weather and I know we're all chomping at the bit so um, let's just, get out there but just, take care of our vulnerable folks. It's just
3: really an odd environment you know and I keep calling it the new abnormal. I, I, I truly think it's going to be really really different for quite a long time in this regard. I think there's several camps of people in this COVID. There are those that aren't concerned at all, those that are overly concerned perhaps, and then there's those in the middle who just aren't comfortable yet going out even if these restaurants are to reopen, you know. So we've got quite a bit of a Of an adjustment to get us back to where we were, if we ever get back to where we were. And perhaps certain
2: segments of our economy, I think, are going to be completely reshaped.
3: I I think so. And I I think that the way that uh, employers and employees relate and having to have, you know, (laughs) cheeks and seats, so to speak, is going to probably change a lot. And, and, you know, (laughs) I think to. To some degree, I think that the whole landscape in that arena is going to change. And certainly the way that we react to public events, particularly large public events like stadium events and things, I think we're quite a ways off to having some comfort level with that again, unfortunately. But, uh, you know, I I just kind of, I don't know, perhaps pray every day that the world doesn't lose its collective mind here and we can all kind of get back to normal. Well,
2: um, (laughs) yes, we do. We can't, um, you know... No one wants to live in fear. Yeah. And um, fear is a terrible thing and can be overwhelming and crippling. And I think, Ted, like you said, there are some people who are, quite frankly, physically, mentally, emotionally paralyzed by this. Yeah. Um, And then there are other people who think it's a hoax. You know, that, you know, that's not helping, folks. You know, we could prove it's a real virus. It's deadly. It's nasty. It's bad. But yeah. we need to, you know, figure out a way to deal with this critter because, obviously, we can't stay shut down forever. Um, yeah. So we've, uh, and we won't. I, well, you know, that, and we that's will true. not stay shut down. And,
3: and that's true. And, and, and you know, this, uh, fortunately or unfortunately for us, plays into what we do, and that is trying to manage, fear in a, in a really different context, and that is to give people that don't know for sure. You, you know one thing that you will die. You just don't know when and <laughs> what circumstances. But, but what we do on a daily basis is to try to help people eliminate that particular fear and, and, and the way that we do that. And, and all of that comes right back to this issue we're talking about, about titling. And for the next segment here, we're going to discuss Specifically, how this affects planning and the difference perhaps between the two types of planning options that you have it might be instructive for people. So we'll probably go through a little of that and then kind of come back around full circle and talk about these uh, real estate deeds and those forth and how they how they re- relate to business entities, and that would be corporations and LLCs.
2: Yeah. So, you know, folks... Um if, if, you know if you do see someone out there especially an elder or someone like that or other person that might be vulnerable in the community if, if they're really really struggling you know reach out see if you can get them some help because I mean we're seeing uh, terrible tolls on uh, anybody with underlying mental illness issues or things like that and even our youngsters I mean young children um, you know I keep seeing stuff on the news about increased uh, you know suicides of you know teenagers and Uh, Nothing troubles. I mean, that's just troubling. It it is troubling. And And, and, and we've we've had a lot of clients, too, Rick,
3: recently who've had people. I've been getting a lot of calls, some clients, some are not clients, that have had people uh, have events, uh, strokes or heart attacks or something like that during this time. And it, it has been incredibly trying if these people did not have any estate plan in place to be able to make medical decisions on their behalf uh, because you simply don't have these things in place and you're finding yourself weeks, sometimes months without seeing these loved ones or being able to control any aspect of their life and just trusting in the 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 medical professionals that the things will work out and that's
2: uh, and, not, and please not a great don't situation. avoid going to your doctor if you have a medical condition yeah, call your doctor if you've got an emergency that is life threatening you go to the ER yeah. if it's a non life threatening emergency you know either a urgent care center type thing like that or call your physician I've had uh, Situation where I've had to, you know, go see my doctor, and I, you know, I did it. Uh, it was kind of interesting. I did it virtually. We met over the thing, and everything worked out really well. And you know, she wrote my prescriptions, and I went and got my lab work done, and did all that kind of stuff. And uh, it worked out pretty well. But uh, even my doctor was telling me that a lot of folks aren't paying attention to their medical care right now and you know folks if you've got you know any of the ongoing diseases where you need continual care you know whether heart disease diabetes things where you're having to take medication every day Parkinson's all this stuff please keep up on it please 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 yeah. keep up on it don't make this situation worse on yourself so I think your doctors are there to help and uh, I think you know our, our hospitals are not over you know overwhelmed here in Washington and um, they're here to here to take care of you. So take care of that. So Ted, back on this titling issue, one of the things that we talk about a lot, where we see a lot of heirs, is in beneficiary designations uh, of all sorts, but especially with retirement plans or IRAs. And yeah,
3: we see a great deal of that. And we and we also see you know titling issues in in estate plans and IRA. Uh, accounts have really become, and we've, we've talked about this in the past, uh, the largest asset in most people's estate for the most part, and how to handle those things varies greatly depending on what your wishes are. But uh, by and large, uh, we recommend that you have a beneficiary on on those accounts. Uh, leaving it uh, undesignated can result in what we call the five year rule, which means all of that money comes out to whoever is going to receive it within five years. Correct me if
2: I'm wrong, but I believe if you, (laughs) let's say you have an IRA account, or 401k, whatever, and you name your estate as the beneficiary. That's right. Well, your estate is not an eligible designated beneficiary for your IRAs. Well, that's right. And therefore, if it gets distributed to your estate, a couple of really bad things happen, folks. Number one, those IRA proceeds will now become subject to your creditors because they're part of your probate estate. And they lose all their tax deferability and 100% of the income tax due on the entire IRA is due now. That's correct, and, and that is a devastating thing. So it is a critical error for your retirement plans or things like that. Never put my estate. Yeah, it's it, like the it, kiss of death.
3: That's right, and, and so just keep this in mind that that it really needs to be either a warm body, <laughs> or it needs to be a properly drafted what we call see-through trust. Now, leaving it to the see-through trust is the most. Protective, intelligent way, in our opinion, to do these things for many, many reasons, uh, for asset protection reasons, and perhaps to replicate the stretch that used to be allowed, which is allowing a beneficiary to use their life expectancy in some way, shape, or form uh, to kind of take this money out. In a in a non ten year method, let's put it that way. Right? Well, yeah,
2: the, folks. The the retirement plan trust that we do at Gregory and Associates to um, manage um, your IRAs, four hundred one ks, all your retirement plans. It's not managing them during your life. This is something that happens upon your death. So you set up this trust. You properly title the beneficiary of your IRA or 401k to be your newly established trust that's within your trust if you're married and take care of your spouse we can add marital tax planning you get a tax advantage with an IRA account how cool is that then we can um, also then when the spouse passes away then it would go on to children in asset protected trust Um, they're just the coolest thing I mean um, when we talk to clients about this new trust It's really exciting because it's a trust that many of us can actually use and get benefit out of. I mean, Ted, you know, us estate planners, we've got some trusts that are so esoteric that if we do one of them in an entire lifetime, we would be excited. You know, there's thousands of them out there that are one-offs or they're for the bazillionaires and most of us aren't in that world so this is something where most of you listening are in this world and it is something that you could take advantage of just by you know checking that out so that's something we'd like to you know keep the word out that the IRA asset protection trust are boy they're just coming into being they get there become more and more reasons every year why they're better and these all started back in uh, the early 2000s when you know it was questioned whether or not IRA assets would be protected then we've talked on this show about Clark v. Raymaker where they came back and said no inherited IRAs are no longer asset protected. Now the third you know nail comes in with the SECURE Act eliminating the stretch on these. So folks we need to really pay a lot of attention to the titling and how we do these and how we do our beneficiary designations because some of the consequences now are going to be severe in unintended consequences of higher taxes either now immediately or longer long term taxes. There's just a lot of things that are really Coming into play yeah. that um, are changing the dynamics of how we do estate planning, and a lot of those have to do with how significant retirement accounts have come in people's um, estates. You know, we, we talked earlier, Ted, about usually um, it's historically been the family house has been the crown jewel, if you will, of the families. You know, there that was the the biggest asset. Oftentimes, was the equity in the home. Where today um, it's as often as it's not, shifted. it's shifted to those yeah. IRA accounts. I mean, between, you know, we have Boeing employees. We have engineers, rank and file Boeing engineers coming in here, you know, making, you know, good jobs, engineering jobs and that. But they're coming in here with multi million dollar IRA programs coming out of their VIP programs. And that's, you know, it's not a result that they made tons and tons of money over time. It's that they saved tons over time, you know, a little bit on their paycheck over and over and over and over, and then with the company contributions. And we're taking people that are, you know, let's just nominally say $150,000 a year engineer. And by effectively saving through the company's plans, there's, you know, two, three, four million is not terribly unusual for us to see on these types of plans. And obviously, I'm just picking on Boeing, but pick any of the other large companies around here, With you know, whether they're in the tech industry or not. Um, this is a dynamic we're seeing, and it's pretty exciting. Folks, we ran a little long here. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back.
0: When we talk about estate planning and elder law, there are two triggers that cause you to review your plan. John Curley here with my attorney, Rick Gregrich. And Rick, what are those two triggers? Thanks, John. There are two key triggers for when you should
2: review your estate plan. Changes in health or wealth. COVID-19 is a significant impact to both. So everyone should review and update their estate plan. Ask yourself, are you and your family prepared? Do you have the right executors, agents, and trustees? Have you provided for your family? We're here to help. This pandemic has disrupted all of our lives, so each of us needs to be proactive during these difficult times.
0: Be prepared, have a plan. Talk to Rick, Gregor and Associates. They're open, they're essential business and they want to help give you peace of mind. You can call them or meet virtually to discuss your estate and elder law plan. Call 425-284-3450. That's 425-284- 3450. Or book your free consultation online at yourpartnerinlaw.com.
4: Have a long-term care plan, it brings certainty to a very uncertain situation. It also allows us to stay in control of our care options, and maybe most importantly, it brings peace of mind to your family during an extremely stressful situation. In Story Monson, I highly recommend doing what my wife and I did, learn about all the new long-term care plans offered by Brian Ott and 525 Advisors. Brian has two live webinars coming up in June. The first one is June 10th at 3 p.m. I'll be joining that one right after my show, and then a second on June 20th. All of Brian's live webinars are free to attend. He'll teach you everything you need to know about long-term care, including all the new plans that are available. They protect your savings, they protect your family, and they plan my wife and i got pays us back if we never use it i can't recommend him highly enough he's the best in the country and he's right here in bellevue sign up for one of his free live webinars coming up june 10th or june 20th go to 525 longtermcare.com that's 525 longtermcare.com
1: now back to your partner in law with rick gregorick on cairo radio 97 3 fm and am 770 ktth
2: and welcome back to your partner in law. I'm attorney Rick Greger. sitting here with, uh, talking with uh, Ted Hansen. Now, Ted's attorney in our office, and, um, you know, Ted does lots of things at the office and that, but one of the things and one of his key responsibilities is helping, you know, head up the elder law section, uh, uh, dealing with uh, senior disability issues as well as children disabilities, childhood disabilities as well, um, helping people with VA issues, qualifying for aid and attendance, things of that nature, helping people put together their elder plans understanding why is that different than an estate plan because we're using the same tools it's the context in which we use the tools, folks I kind of describe the difference in elder law and estate planning And um, remember the hammer wall when you go to the hardware store I mean, there might be a hundred different hammers up there so, you know, if my dad sent me down to the hardware store and said, hey Rick, go down to the hardware store and buy a hammer and bring it back and I go down to the store and I look at the wall all those hammers, which one does dad need? I kind of needed to know the job, right? What is he doing? Is he going to be busting up some concrete and he needs a 30-pound sledgehammer, a man's tool? Or is he reupholstering the, um, the ottoman in the den, which he needs a, you know, an upholsterer's little tap hammer? Or does he need his framing? He needs a framer's hammer. You get my point? What kind of hammer does he need? Maybe he's taking up a road. He needs a jackhammer. You know, so we need to know what kind of, you know, it's not the tool, but what's the application of the tool? The same thing's happening in state and elder law. We're going to go to the power of attorney wall. And we're going to pick out the right power of attorney for your situation. Elder law is different than traditional. We're dealing with different situations. So we're still using a hammer. We're just going to use different types of hammers. Does that make sense? And that's what we're doing in estate planning is we're picking and choosing based on what job we're trying to do. We want to match the legal tool to the job. And this is why so many of us attorneys just have kind of almost nightmares over people saying, oh I can go to the internet and I can just call up a will or a trust and that'll be just fine because I'm like everybody else you're not like everybody else you're like nobody else we all have similarities but we're all very unique and those of us who do this work you know for a long period of time we certainly know how challenging that could be and so you know the hammer wall is the same between estate and elder Ted does powers of attorney, wills uh, healthcare directives all the same things that I do for traditional planning but they're going going to be written different, different provisions. When do they turn on? How do they turn on? Who has what rights? I mean, they're just going to be different instructions. And it's not that one is right or wrong. We have to use the one that's right for the time. Well, that's right. And and they do differ depending on the circumstance. And
3: as we've talked about before, the real issue is disability. And that that really defines elder law kind of more distinctly than it does traditional estate planning is that focus. But uh, when we talk about these tools, and, and we're going to kind of circle back now to Titling and estate planning in general and you have two ways to plan in our world And one is what we call will-based planning and one is what we call trust-based planning So the difference primarily between the two is titling, right? It's it's will-based plans Don't own anything trust-based plans own assets in other words when you have a trust-based plan you start off with an empty bucket and you've got to fill that bucket up. And you fill that bucket up through a method we call funding. And funding is the process by which you switch the legal title to an asset to be owned by your revocable trust, of which most people are both the trust maker, the initial trustees, and the initial beneficiaries. The legal owner of the asset is now the trust and the owner remains the equitable owner of the asset. However, to properly fund a trust, you must fill it up. You must fill the bucket. It's like walking up the hill to get a bucket of water and not using the pump. And you come down with an empty bucket and you have no water. Well, that's much like an unfunded trust. And the difference between the two primarily is that issue that wills, need either no beneficiary on an asset or your estate as the beneficiary, not with standing IRA accounts. We Almost talked about already. that. Please do not confuse the two. And please do not confuse the standalone retirement account we talked about right before break with a revocable living trust. They are two different animals, one of which is qualified to hold IRA assets. The other is not, even though people do it, we plan for it because people don't listen. <laughs> uh, but the results are dramatically different in the way that that title ultimately plays out. Um, so I think that's important for people to understand, Rick, the difference between will-based planning and the effect, for example, on an account in a will-based plan that you want to go to your four children, yet your pay-on-death beneficiary is one of your children. Well, guess who gets the money? Just the at one. At the end of the road. It's and the, and, it's and it's Tevin, the this is thing.
2: something you know, we've talked about <clears throat> before, that when people use a will-based plan, that's fine, but... They need to go back and look at how do they have titles because so many people over the years, I I tell you, most people don't remember what they did, but you go back to your accounts you say, oh, geez. I've had clients find an old girlfriend on an account. Oh yeah, I've had them say, oh, I forgot I put my kid on that account. They found out when their kid got sued in a lawsuit in an accident. All of a sudden, dad's getting process of service against his bank account. Oh, what happened? Oh, well, yeah, you put your son on this, so it's liable. So, devil's in the detail, even with will-based planning to go back and make sure, because the only assets that are going to go through your will are assets subject to probate. So, if you've done a benefit fishery designation something like that it's no longer subject to probate that's correct and so some people say oh well that's a good thing well maybe yes maybe no depends if you have tax planning in your plan the answer is my favorite answer that works for most legal questions that i'm asked it depends The answer most of the time is it depends none of this is linear nothing is this that or the other for most of this type of stuff because we have competing factors estate taxes capital gains taxes income taxes sales and use taxes and then you know and it goes on and on and on and on and on in different statutes different things how you avail yourself and the beauty of it is you get a lot of options and choices. You just have to kind of figure out what they are. That's why you use us guys. That's exactly you know, We're the right. tools that you go know. through and figure all this stuff yeah, out so and share it with them.
3: I get clients all the time, Rick, that's, that, that they, they almost look at me like a question if it's legal to do what we do in many of these plans. And we have to tell them, of course it's legal. And please don't feel guilty about taking advantage of the laws As written because they're there for a reason. And if you choose to avail yourself of them, fine. If you don't, shame on you. You know, it's the kind of way we approach it. So, but in this arena, folks, uh, depending on the size of your estate, you you really need to consider uh, all of these things, particularly title and then, of course, the overlay of tax implications. And we could talk and probably will at some point about. Taxes in general in this arena, and it gets really deep sometimes. But it's a it's a, it's an issue for Washingtonians because we do have an estate tax here.
2: Yeah, well, I think we're we're gonna. I, I just have this feeling, Ted. The company just spent in whatever it was six or seven trillion more dollars. You know, whether it was the direct loans or the funding or the guarantees or whatever. But uh, let, let's say one very big boatload of money, and I, it's pretty clear we're not done there's no world that I can envision out in front of me that doesn't have significant changes in our tax law just not just rates I see the whole law I see I see significant changes coming I have no idea what they're going to be other than the result has to be tax revenue going into the government because that's how the system works um, they have a printing press so they can just put more money out and say oh all the money I just printed you owe me that now and so you know we've got to get ahead of that so I think all of us are going to have to pay a whole bunch of attention over the coming years it's not just now I'm talking about the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years this is going to this is with us now for a long time this is the impact this is going to be the lasting thing and so we're all going to have to pay attention to that. It's certainly going to impact um, any of our lives, whether it's estate taxes, capital gains. I mean, I'm, I'm going to guess there'll be some new taxes <laughs> that we haven't even heard of yet. That oh, they'll will come up rough. with something. So it's always something. Hey, folks, we uh, got to call On, on
3: that happy note. Yeah, on that happy so note. We got to call
2: today. <laughs> but be safe, be sane, and um, check us out. We're available. We're here to help your partner in law. Take care. We'll see you next week.